single most important piece of, of, of advice would be, do you know what your most sensitive data is and do you know where it's at? If you can answer that question, then you'll understand where you need to apply the most important hygiene, cyber hygiene items and steps to ensure that you're protected at all times. Welcome to the Stratfor Pen and Sword podcast. I'm Fred Burton. Today I'm checking in with Alex White, Vice President of Prescient, a global risk management and intelligence services firm with four practice areas, due diligence, investigations, cyber, and intelligence. Alex, welcome to the Stratfor Pen and Sword podcast. Thank you, Fred. Thank you for having me. Alex, I see you are a U.S. Air Force Academy grad. Now, how did you end up in the U.S. Army? It's actually a, a great question. So I graduated from the Air Force Academy in 2001, uh, May of 2001 to be exact. And I was actually in business school before September 11th happened, right after September 11th happened. Since I wasn't pilot qualified, I did everything I could to, to, to deploy as quick as possible and contribute to the war effort overseas. So that's how I wound up in the Army. I cross-transferred to the Army as soon as I could with an opportunity called Blue to Green. And then served 10 kinetic years, deployed nonstop for the entire time. And I also see, Alex, that you were a Bronze Star recipient. Yes, sir. That's correct. Well, thank you for your service to our great nation. Thank you. It was my, it was my honor and privilege. Well, we're certainly in uncharted territory right now, but there seems to be some familiarities. We have bad actors still trying to take advantages of weaknesses wherever they can exploit them. And Stratfor has been sharing some best practices on how to avoid criminal cyber attacks during the COVID-19 work-from-home period. But the longer this goes on, Alex, it's likely there are going to be more opportunities for cyber espionage. What's your take on that? This is your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. I think, you know, my, my background gives me it positions me very uniquely to look at things in a different perspective than your typical subject matter expert in the cyber field. I don't look at it from bits and bytes. I look at it with data information and intelligence. Uh, a lot of the systems that you'll see out there, a lot of organizations and subject matter experts, they track it based on the data and the logs, and they try to put piecemeal all of these packages of what the threat should look like based on those logs and records. And if it's not relevant to a business impact, then I don't really actually pay attention to it. There has to be some type of consequence. And you pointed out very clearly, you know, in, in terms of bad actors deliberately looking for opportunities to expose or exploit an organization's critical assets, the, the key piece there is critical assets. And so, again, you know, I look at it in terms of combat with respect to anybody can give you data from the field, but you've got to parse that data into information. And that information has to yield intelligence for you to actually take action on it. Yeah, very good point. What is the one thing that most concerns you right now, a month into this virtual reality of of all of us working for home? That there's no playbook, right? And so this is the most asymmetric and real-time combat environment in the history of the world, right? And so what you're looking at is, you know, it's all greenfield for organizations. One of the things that concerns me it deals with access control deals with data classification, deals with data governance. All of those kind of violently collide in the middle where organizations have spent a lot of time really overlapping information technology, information security, and data privacy into like a, a single room where they actually deserve all their own pertinent focus areas of discipline. 
And so when you're thinking about how an organization has digitally transformed in the last 5, 10, 15 years, a lot of the security has been applied at the network level, what I call the flagpole application. So your office location has great, great security when it comes to monitoring what people are doing when they're on their um, you know, corporate network or corporate Wi-Fi. But now the field is dispersed into all these different watchtowers where home offices are now the, they're the new you know, outward posts of, of the flagpole, and they have no extension of that endpoint monitoring capability. So security is really blind at the, at the, at the individual employee and endpoint level. That's the biggest concern I'm seeing right now. And then back to the main point, there's no playbook for that because security has never had the conversation of what happens if 90, 95% of my workforce is not at the flagpole. How do we keep those four deployed teams and employees productive without disrupting their ability to have access to information. So it's this this um, never-ending balance that I think a lot of organizations and teams weren't prepared for. Yeah, well said on that. Uh, what do you advise your clients to try to combat that? Great question. Stick to the basics, right? Are you updating your software? Are you restarting your computer? Are you changing your passwords regularly? It sounds very simple, but I have a client right now whose child was at a college and they came back because of the stay-at-home order and you know everything that's going on with COVID and their computer hadn't been restarted in five years. They're senior in college now um, and that, that specific use case, they're bringing this device into their home Wi-Fi and it's completely compromised their network capability and network security just because none of the proper operating systems updates, operating software updates, device updates have been levied for that specific device. So you're actually bringing a Trojan horse into your home environment, which is also now doubled as your corporate professional environment. So that's one of the first things I start with is, are you maintaining proper cyber hygiene? You can't start talking about resilience and disaster recovery and business continuity and all these sexy cyber terms of monitoring and surveillance and threat hunting if your systems are immediately vulnerable and you haven't provided the appropriate fixes to keep a, a solid cyber foundation and hygiene. Alex, have you seen nation state actors take advantage of this window of time? Absolutely. I absolutely. I can't, I can't, um, I can't emphasize enough how first the nation state threat is very real because it's an unlimited budget for organizations and teams that actually have a very specific skill to leverage attack capability on organizations, right? And so, again, when you're thinking through um, data, stop thinking about data security and data privacy. Think about intelligence. How can information about my systems or the fact that I leave my back door unlocked in my house, small points like that in terms of how access can be granted without you being secure about it or controlling it. And that's where nation state actors really, really... um, flourish. They sit in that that small space where you forgot to lock your back door or they they steal your garage door opener frequency, stuff like that. And I, I use those as analogies to your cyber system for your company because these organizations, that's all they do. These nation state hackers, that's all they do. They devise different ways to attack organizations, teams, people, critical assets, and, and that's their entire profession. This never was the case before when, you know, we look back at the Matthew Broderick days of war games. It was, you know, our typical thought process was a hacker sits in his or her grandma's basement 
And as a hobbyist, looking at writing new code and Ada Guide or Cobalt, whatever coding programming language there was, but now it's evolved to an actual organized crime syndicate. And these nation states are funded by the nation states, specifically trying to hold different governmental, regional, municipal, or corporate entities hostage. That's that's the very, very scary part. And a good example um, to give you kind of some tactical teeth behind this point is just the, the registration of several domains, several hundreds of thousands of domains with coronavirus, um, coronavirus labels, Zoom labels, uh, all these different kind of solutions and tools and platforms that are being proliferated and used at a wide scale level. All of these nation state and domain registries for, for accounts or spoof websites or phishing websites are coming from these nation state IP addresses and regions. So we know that they're creating at least the, the net that would snag or snare anyone that would go to these sites if they can socially engineer you to it. So that's how nation state actors have been very, very um, you know, pronounced in this age of the pandemic. We'll get back to our conversation with Alex White in just a moment, but I wanted to speak to you first about why I think Stratfor's content is an extraordinary opportunity in these strange times. The real-time challenges of living in an increasingly interconnected world have rarely been more clearly on display as they have in 2020. The coronavirus pandemic has affected every single aspect of government, business, life, and technology. How we manage these risks has direct implications for the broader public interest. Right now, individuals and businesses are turning to Stratfor and RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Please check us out. Podcast listeners can take advantage of a special subscription rate by checking out stratfor.com slash podcast offer. That's stratfor.com slash podcast offer. Thank you. We all know of the big players in this arena, for example, the China and Russia's of the world. What are some of the other nation states that uh, you would be on the lookout for? So I'd say Eastern Europe and Latin America as well. So what you're really looking for is, is non-extradition countries or organizations that operate in these areas that don't have a significant or disciplined law enforcement capability when it comes to data security. I'd even venture to say in certain areas of the U.S., and, and don't mark me for this because it might get me in trouble, but in certain areas of the U.S. where your law enforcement, um, your municipal law enforcement, your county law enforcement, they're not, they don't have the the skill set or the capability, subject matter expertise to, to even track down or investigate a specific attack on a small, medium-sized business. So essentially your complaint, it's almost like a stolen car. In certain areas, if there's not enough manpower, not enough skill set, the you know, the police force will actually just refer you to your insurance company to get the payout, right? And so with cyber insurance increasing, I see that a lot in a lot of organizations um, that that push, you know, the premiums on their cyber insurance that do file these complaints. There's just not enough of a a skilled law enforcement support function that can provide that even in the U.S. Now, amplify that to, you know, less developed countries in Eastern Europe or even Africa, where we're seeing a lot of the social engineering come from. I think everyone's had um, you know, the Prince of Nigeria email come through their Gmail inbox at some point in, in right. their life, 10 years, right? And so all of these areas that have, you know, a less organized police or law enforcement capacity or function, take that multiply it by 10, 20, 30, 50 X, and no one's actually going to go after these people, 
right? And so if even if you're able to attribute the threat to a specific computer sitting in Senegal or sitting in 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 Romania or Macedonia, I mean, what's the verification that you'll have that someone will actually go serve a warrant, knock on the door, arrest that person, and then investigate it all the way from from start to finish? So, you know, there's no consequence at this point. I think that's what a lot of subject matter experts in cyber really are fighting for is this this um, standardized law enforcement and and and, and standard and ap- applicable standard for overall data security and, and consequence worldwide. Which I know firsthand is a challenge living through uh, the horrific acts of terror in the 80s and the 90s and trying to get uh, some form of global governance or response to those kinds of cases was was literally just pushing a boulder up a hill. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And I liken it to my experience in, in Iraq, right? We had trying to control a specific area of responsibility, but it really depended on who the influence leaders were in those specific neighborhoods and how much progress you could actually make. If you had a very strong imam or police chief that was really looking to, to prosecute then, you know, the, the state of law there was very strong. But if it was just about doing civil affairs projects or med cap, uh, medical capabilities or mash tents, then that's all they were really focused on to give you intelligence. So you've got to figure out like which region that these attacks are coming from and figure out what the critical assets or influence would be. And that's that's the hardest part. Right. And so a lot of what gives me and my team a lot of flexibility is we have the ability to negotiate first attribute and find that threat and then engage on a sub level that's not law enforcement to at least release these critical assets or um, have the threat actor discontinue attacks on their system so it it's 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 really a negotiation game right now and not your typical law enforcement investigation and enforcement a consequence piece that you would hope to see that you probably see a lot in the movies um, but that's that's what creates the market for us and where we're uniquely positioned to actually provide that value to large global organizations and even small to medium-sized businesses that extend beyond multiple regions. Alex, uh, let's face it, spies have been stealing secrets from government agencies and corporations forever. What are some of the new trends that perhaps people aren't thinking about in the corporate espionage arena? That's a great question. Um, you know, I'll start by saying that cybersecurity in the last decade of my experience, I've seen a, a very huge focus on what we call GRC. So governance, risk and compliance. In the last three to five years, you've just seen a proliferation of so many different types of legal and regulatory standards. You've got the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR for the EU, that's now cross applying to every organization that has even a footprint of data in the EU. And and the U.S. has significant trade interests and and business uh, productivity signatures and footprints in the EU. You've got the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act or California Consumer Protection Act. Um, Down the line, an organization has anywhere between three and 15 different compliance standards. And so where I've seen security develop and, and you know, this is a little bit outside kind of the corporate espionage piece, but it's relevant because the, the strategies for cybersecurity are only specifically applied to compliance checkboxing. So how do we protect protected health information? If you're a healthcare enterprise, you know, you've got all the bells and whistles and, and solid top quadrant best in breed um, security technologies to protect medical records, but they're not talking about their research and development for, for, for cures to cancer, right? And so 
they may have all of these great protection points for not allowing medical records to leave the organization from the nurse's station or from the doctor's iPad. But what they're not doing is looking at all the doctors that are collaborating with Chinese doctors or Korean doctors or, you know, African doctors. They're not collaborating with all of these or they're collaborating with all these organizations and in different countries that have nation state actors and they're not protecting that portal. So intellectual property becomes a, a huge fringe exploitable um, asset. And so to your point directly, because so many organizations have focused on creating a data security strategy around compliance, they haven't actually looked at business, business espionage as a true security threat vector for emerging hunt and threat. And so that's where we spend a lot of time data mapping for organizations. You know, one of the questions it, it blows my mind when I when I talk to um, you know, an organization or a client organization is what's the most significant data asset you have. And they can't, they can't communicate that. And if they can't communicate that, then I can automatically almost always tell you that they're not even, even able to fingerprint that data. So how can you see fingerprint or track that data if it leaves your organization in an unauthorized way? That's really the question of the day. And it extends to our current situation because I don't have any monitoring capability on employee X who lives 30 miles away from the flagpole and is using their home Wi-Fi. You know, is it being transferred to another laptop? Is it being immediately bled over into an iPad that one of their children is using for, you know, a, a Google Android app and, 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 and game, right? And so like all of these things now mesh together in the ro- remote workforce melting pot of network security. So when we're talking business espionage, first, it's, it's can you actually map your data? Second, do you know what systems have that data in it? And that's where we start doing data mapping, tracking how data is created, stored, used, and transmitted. Now, not to go into this whole, you know, uh, diatribe about, about mapping data and creating a process around it, but, you know, that these are this is where we talk about the business impact and the intelligence of a specific piece of information. Uh, uh, you know, any something that's patentable, a cure for cancer. Uh, one of the organizations I, I used to work with before had a, a, a specific portfolio of research and development projects dedicated to, to different types of cancer cures. And so do you know what that data looks like? Is it genetic data with GCAT information? Is it CAD data if it's, you know, a manufacturing organization? And so, again, fingerprinting is key one. Uh, step two is really being able to figure out what's the appropriate usage of that data. And typically how I look at it is, is I call it a 3C model, content channel community. What's the content look like? How should it be transmitted or used inside of your business environment? And then what's the community that should have access to it and what's the community that shouldn't? And so when you do that, you're able to see if anyone's trying to infiltrate or pull out data, you can immediately track if they're an authorized agent or not. And so that's the that, that that's kind of the, the very basic foundation of how to track business espionage. Um, in terms of the environment, I see that more often than people think. It's very easy to build a compliance, a, a cybersecurity compliance strategy and process portfolio. But the next step then towards maturity and resilience is are you protecting assets that really even matter, or are you just checkboxing to, to pass your HIPAA privacy impact assessment? The organizations that we work with quite a bit. They're able to, to monetize specifically, um, you know, how much data elements are worth based on evaluation and risk assessment they do at, that involves the chief financial officer, chief executive officer, and the CIO and the CSO and the CISO all at the same time. So it's, it's a pretty big 
it's a pretty big deal, uh, a pretty big problem to solve. So you know, it's a chief decision maker problem and challenge for organizations to solve. Alex, as we wrap up, uh, what would be the final takeaway for our listeners on this podcast today as it pertains to their home usage, their virtual life they're living in? What would be the one piece of advice that you would give them that they could do right now? Wow. Um, (laughs) So there's a lot of pieces of advice. If I were to say one thing, it would be exercise appropriate cyber hygiene from every device, every node, every connection piece, ensure that you know what devices are supposed to be connecting and which devices are not. And, and, and just monitor that. Don't, don't sit back and think that your internet service provider is doing that for you. Um, and don't sit back thinking that, you know, it's, it's horrible to say this, but in the pandemic age, um, the default is no trust. Right. And so you have to look at each system. You have to look at data elements. And if they're pulling from that, the single most important piece of, of, of advice would be, do you know what your most sensitive data is and do you know where it's at? And if you can answer that question, then you'll understand where you need to apply the most important hygiene, cyber hygiene items and steps to ensure that you're protected at all times. Well, thank you, Alex, for coming by the Stratfor podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to contribute. Alex White is the Vice President at the Global Risk Management Services firm Prescient and a contributor to the RAIN network of experts. Of course, Stratfor is a RAIN company. Together, Stratfor and RAIN help you understand the why behind what's happening now. You can find out about RAIN for businesses at rainnetwork.com. You can find out more about Stratfor at stratfor.com slash podcast offer. That's stratfor.com slash podcast offer. I'm Fred Burton, and thank you for listening.